Welcome to another exciting edition of the Dr. Funk Podcast. And now, here's your host, Dr. Funkenberry. Welcome everyone to the Dr. Funk Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, for listening, for subscribing on iTunes, Podbay FM, Stitcher, YouTube as well. Thank you guys so much. We have a really, really great guest today of a book that I just read and I am all about it. I, it's called Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Re- Studio Sessions, 1983 and 84. Dwayne Tudal, the author, is with us today. Welcome, Dwayne. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. Very cool. I've, you know, when it comes to Prince books, it's kind of hard for me to read. I started having a little bit of nightmares just because there's certain things, you know, that just bring up certain certain things. That's all I can all I can really say. Sure. Um, and with the book being over 400 pages. It's, it's, um, over, it's over 500 pages, including right. the citations and everything like that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a big book. It's amazing, though. And people, you know, if you think Purple Rain has been done to death, um, what you're going to find, as well as I found, and Questlove is all about it, too, and we're going to get into it, but there's a lot of stuff that you may not have known that happened. Like, sometimes when you have these little Prince books, it'll cover, like, 30 pages or 70, or you have a book like Alan Light just does with the filming, and it's still doesn't scratch the surface of what Dwayne's book does. Um, Dwayne, tell them like the people that you've interviewed for this book. Well, uh, wow. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, I know. I was going to say it take all day. Uh, I, I interviewed about 40 or 50 people for this book, mm-hmm. specifically new interviews for this book. Most of the revolution, uh, Susanna, uh, Brenda Bennett from Apple Only Six, members of the time, members of the family, um, uh, most of the engineers. The other thing, uh, the book, just so you understand why I went through all these people, is it's a book that's about what he did in the studio during 1983 and 1984. And it covers over 220 sessions, um, rehearsals, sound checks, where he started recording things, just kind of giving you an idea of where the songs were done. But it's not just a book about the dates. You know, on Tuesday the 8th, he did this. It's about those in context. The book starts off with a quote by Prince that says, all my life is in my records. And it really is true when you start to look at his life in context to his music. You realize, oh, this is his happy period. Oh, this he was angry this week. And you start right. to hear a pattern of what he was doing. And so I, I, this came from the fact that I went to uh, – I was working on a book called The Vault for Uptown Magazine years ago. And uh, I was one of the researchers on that. And I went originally went to Sunset Sound, which is where Prince did most of his recording during the 80s, and asked them you know, to interview them. And I started talking to them. And they said, would you like to see the work orders of when he um, did his stuff? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so they showed me a stack of like 700 work orders. And they said, would you like to make copies? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so I spent the afternoon Xeroxing these things and yeah, looking at them thinking, this is a document that Prince held. And signed and, you know, noted what he did. And I realized this is a book. And I started talking about it about 25 years ago mm-hmm. about how cool this would be as a book. And 
it, um, we laughed about it, thought there's no way we could do this. And so eventually I started noodling on it, noodling on it. And over the past two decades, really, it, it started, started growing. And about five years ago, my wife said, are you going to do this or are you not? You know, is this a hobby or is this something you're really going to pursue? And so I really thought, yeah, I'm going to really pursue this. Finished up a bunch of the interviews, interviewed Susan Rogers and uh, mm-hmm. Coke Johnson and Peggy McCreary, <clears throat> David Z and, and uh, all kinds of different engineers because the engineers were the people that were there in the studio. And the engineers, people forget when they were doing books to talk to the engineers. Be- but it's, I think, a, a mistake because the engineers are there with him for 18 hours a day at times. Right. They get there a half an hour before he does, leave a half an hour after he does. And the only time they leave the room is to, you know, when Prince records vocals, which he does all by himself, or to go take a whiz, you know. And that's, you know, so you you get a really unfiltered look at what this guy was like for the majority of a day. And he would record for weeks on end, days on end, and grueling schedules. And sometimes he'd have two or three age, uh, engineers in there to kind of work in shifts almost. Like, you take this, you take this. And Peggy McCreary was working with her, uh, at the time, boyfriend, but then husband, David Leonard. Mm. And Susan Rogers would come in. She did stuff. And she learned. And I talk about her joining the Prince Camp and, you know, just... All these different things. And David Z, who was, you know, Bobby Z was in the band, but he was brought on because he had known Prince since the beginning. And and so there was a trust factor there and a comfort factor there. So right. it's it's kind of fun to have gotten time. And sometimes I'd be in actual the Sunset Sound studio with them when they're recording and not recording Prince, but on other sessions. And they, I'd be interviewing these people. And they'd be talking to me, telling me, well, this is where Prince sat. He'd play the guitar here and, and the amps would be out there. And just hearing this and being in the room and you realize there's a spirit to this. And a lot of big things were done at Sunset Sound. Led Zeppelin did Stairway to Heaven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one version of that. And, and the Rolling Stones recorded there and uh, several of the Beatles recorded there at different times. It's got a legacy, but there's something about Prince being there to me. Just that's history and not that the others aren't, but. To me, the studio stuff is the hidden history of what right. went. And and the thing I keep getting reminded is during his time, actually Prince's entire career, everybody wanted to get into the studio with him. It was a gift to be in the studio with him. You, you really, mm-hmm. you weren't given this gift and very few people were. So what I was able to do is find a way to make, give us all access to being there and to seeing what he, we never got a chance to see and never got a chance to be sitting next to him doing. And there's something fun about, you know, looking over the shoulder, watching a painting, a paint, a, a master, you know, a painter make their work. Right. And that's what this was. And you bring so. up the vault book. I was glad to be a part of that as well. It's extensive. The yeah. writing's a little tiny, but a shout lot, out to Perry Nelson. Who, Absolutely. Um, you know, he had a book called DMSR the first 10 years. This is like DMSR on acid, Dwayne's book, just because it's focusing on 83 and 84. And it believe it's longer than Pear's book. It is. Um, it is. It is. I, I actually worked on Pear's book as well. Um, uh-huh. I'm credited in that beginning of that one as well. Um, did a lot of the interviews for that one. All the Los Angeles, a lot of the Los Angeles interviews, not all. The other ones were done by Alan Freed, who also helped with this and the vault. Um and Pierre actually helped with this book. Um, one of the cool things is uh, I maintain a friendship with uh, Pierre Nilsson over the past 25, 30 years. I've never met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we've 
worked together in several projects. And I told him about this book because he and I had been talking about it for years. Right. And he said, I've got all these tapes of all the interviews we did back then with like Jellybean Johnson mm. and all these other people. And he said, would you like to have those? Some of them I had conducted, but some of them Alan uh, Freed had conducted. And, he, and I said, yeah, I'd like to have those. Again, another thing that just kind of came my way. And so I got those, transcribed them, and reached out to the people. And some of them I got in touch with, like uh, Jellybean Johnson. And he said, yeah, I'd like to be involved in the book. Uh, and um, uh, Pepe Willie and things like that. Other people I couldn't get in touch with, and I was kind of sad because I would have liked to have had their quotes from the interviews in there. But when I couldn't get in touch with somebody or when I, I couldn't interview somebody, a lot of these people had quotes out there in the public. Like I, I wanted to get in touch with Morris Day, and I wasn't able to interview him. But he interviewed on every, several other things, so I was able to use quotes from Morris throughout his career, quotes from you know Jesse Johnson, who I interviewed, and Jesse helped with the book in a small way. Um, but I, I, I'm able to find quotes from some of these people outside. And also, I mean, even people like Susan Rogers, who I interviewed probably six or seven times, I even flew to Boston to, to interview her. I still found quotes from her outside that I would end up using. If it's a better quote than something I've got, I'm happy to use it. I don't really care where the source is. I want the information to be as thorough and accurate as possible. Right. So, yeah. So it's so quite I cite, extensive. So I, I cite uh, all the references in there just to make sure because if people are doing research or interviews or articles, they deserve to be recognized. And so there's a, a good thing in the back that has all the where each quote came from and stuff like that. So you can research it yourself, too. So right now it just it starts your book starts somewhere like in January of 1983. Right. You know, right after the 1999 album comes out and right before the explosion of Little Red Corvette. You know, they weren't exactly selling out places, even right. though you had Prince and the Revolution, although they weren't called that yet. You had right. The Time, you had Vanity Six. And then, so your <clears throat> coverage basically starts right before Dick's explosion, a little red Corvette, and right when the ideas are being more manifested for Purple Rain uh, to come into existence as a movie and all these other things. So... It's really quite awesome that you're able to get from there to where he becomes this just crazy superstar within less than a year and a half. Right. You know, now, another thing I thought was interesting on it was just, like I said, you cover everything. It goes through a lot of studio sessions, sure. obviously all the studio sessions. Now you'll have stuff that's being worked on a lot, like Wonderful Ass or other things that are going on for a bit. <clears throat> now, mm -hmm. it's interesting because in the Purple Rain Deluxe, which was released earlier this year before your book came out in November, yes. um, it they tell, it has interviews with everyone from the Revolution, and it talks about Wonderful Ass being written about Susanna and Prince. Now, we find out, especially with your book, you know, for some people that may not know or just think all of that is... Legit that actually Wonderful Ass existed long before then. Now, right. how are you able to find out these certain things regarding Wonderful Ass and the studio sessions and who was the inspiration? Okay. Uh, Wonderful Ass is a great example of um, – okay. Here's, here's – with any sort of artist or any sort of person that's putting something together, they're probably going to have several – muses or several inspirations somebody writes a story they can be inspired by three or four different things prince writes a song somebody comes up with a riff somebody comes up with lyrics somebody says a joke 
somebody's walking across the floor, they hear that he hears the beat. A lot of things can go into creating something. And I don't think there's really one source for anything. That said, I, from what I've been told and what I understand, Vanity was probably the source for that because it's written, it looks like an 82. Right. And that was much earlier than, than some people be on the scene. The other side of that is, is it might have been other people too. It might be Vanity, but it might be other people as well that were the inspiration. Mm-hmm. I think anybody, especially somebody that has to do as much music as Prince did, and he literally had to because he had so many projects going, you're, you're looking to feed the machine. Mm-hmm. And whatever the influence is, whatever the muse is, you know, he'll bring Morris in the studio and Morris Day and he'll play something for a while and he's looking for a riff or he'll just have the band jam. There's going to be inspirations and, and things like that for any sort of thing. I, 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 um, Susanna was the reference to a lot of different songs and, and not to take anything away from her because she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, I go through that too as well because, you know, and also Prince, here's the other thing about Prince is he would tell one person one thing and then tell another person another thing. And that would be his way of kind of just throwing a little chaos out there. And, you know, I think that when he was trying to date certain people, he may say certain things like, oh, yeah, this is about you. What's more flattering than hearing that? You know, I mean, that's that's kind of nice to hear that. And uh, so I don't think there's any way to trace truly what the inspiration is unless he was saying it. And even then, if he's saying it, it might be what he's saying that day because he, you know, I remember there was a time he was talking about his old manager one time and he said, and my previous manager, whose name I can't remember, Hmm. she remembers his manager's name. He's just doing that to be kind of, you know, say that today I'm angry at this person Hmm. or whatever. And and so you're just like, okay, well, there's your mood's going to dictate, you know, what he says. And Prince Prince likes to be mysterious or liked to be mysterious mm. and we all kind of enjoyed that ride you know we, we how many of us got the program for purple rain and it took us you know 10 months before we knew what open your heart open your mind meant right you know it's like oh he laid that that riddle down and didn't give us the punchline until april exactly. you know <clears throat> and i think that that's a big thing with him is is just because you think it's about one person, it may not be necessarily about them. And it may not be mm. necessarily about vanity. And all that information came from Jill Jones, who was there for a lot of the stuff. And Jill, you know, here's the other thing with the Purple Rain release is I think that – I'm happy I'm happy that it came out. I really am. I think that there's some stuff on there that's fantastic. Yes. <clears throat> and, and I hope they do that with every every album out there. Sorry about clearing my throat. Um, but I, I, I hope they do that with every album out there. It's. I just wish that a little more detail had gone into certain things. I would like to have had the. Um, I'd like to have had the the um, conversations with the revolution about every song on there, mm-hmm. you know, not not just the the songs on the album, and 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 I would like to hear more from some of the other people that were there, and and I think people got overlooked, and I think Jill Jones got accidentally overlooked. Apollonia got overlooked on the album. She had stuff mm-hmm. to do with. It. I think she got. Over, but Jill was very vocal about the fact that she was kind of left out, and I think logically the reason why she was mad is because she was hurt right. and i would be it, you 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 were involved with some historic album and and importantly involved in certain parts you don't want to be overlooked and so after the uh, that came out and she was upset i i reached out and i interviewed her jill many times and we're friends now mm-hmm. for years with interviewing and stuff like this and i reached out and said okay let's go through every track on here and let me find out what you did 
And so when I do the book, when I, you know, I was just locking it basically that weekend and we spent the weekend uh, going through and going through song by song and I was able to put all the things in there. So I told her, first off, I want it accurate. I really want it accurate. Second off, I don't want to have the crap storm coming at me if I get it wrong, you know, and, and so, and she understood this completely. And I think she was grateful about the fact that, you know, I took the extra effort. And I went back to a lot of these people. I went back to Jill and I went back to Susanna. I went back to Brenda Bennett and I went back to uh, Susan Moonsey, not Susan Moonsey, uh, Susan Rogers and, and kind of asked for clarity. Well, this seems to contradict this. And, and so I tried to get as much of that as I could from people um, right. because at the end of the day, I want it to be as accurate as possible. And it's our job, whether it's your show or me writing a book or an article to tell the truth and to tell yeah. and you, you and I have talked about this and it's, just, it's one of these things you he's no longer here and we can no longer look forward to what he had to offer there was always the promise of the next album it was always like the upcoming Christmas you never knew it could be a great album or you know you got whatever's sitting on the Christmas tree it could be you know a new bike or it could be underwear and and each and there were times that was both you know but we don't have that anymore so now it's our job to go back through his history and make sure that the story is told properly right, with right. respect, in context, and with knowledge that people can speak a little more freely now. And people are open to making sure that they are right. uh, able to tell the, the side of the story they may have witnessed. So that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Properly Proper. and correctly are the most right. important things. And that's why, you know, Jill being left out of so much and her being on those tracks Absolutely. Being on so much more, it kind of sucks. And I just figure Susanna of all people would know because in a few times over the years when I mentioned about Susanna or the beautiful ones or other stuff, um, Prince would have a message sent to me. Would you please tell the doc that the beautiful ones is not about Susanna Melvoin? In fact, no song was written about Susanna Melvoin. And my response to that was, God, it will take it off the site. But who is the inspiration for Susanna's PJs from the family there, album? There you are. There so, yes, yeah, here's the thing. P Susanna was a huge influence. And for him to say she wasn't is, is being disingenuous. And I think that there's a certain pride and maybe because he's broken up with somebody that he didn't want to give people credit. But yeah, there, Susanna was uh, like a lot of people. People that were close to him were inspirations for things. You know, you don't get a song called "Poor Goo" without there being a guy named Goo. You know, that's just how it is. You know, and I think that when he says that he didn't have um, a muse or an influence on that, I think that's you know, I, you you can clearly look at what Sheila E brought to his music. You can clearly look at what. Eric Leeds brought to his music right. and the influences that these kind of people brought you can clearly look at what Lisa did for his music you know you can hear it with you know with what uh, Lisa and Wendy brought you to, to say that they didn't influence his music or didn't inspire things is I don't think it's accurate I really don't think it's accurate now no. maybe not the beautiful ones was written about her but there were other songs and that was just my point to him and your book delves into the beautiful ones as well, which absolutely. is absolutely know, such a huge part of Purple Rain. And originally, uh, majority of people know that Electric Intercourse was originally supposed to be the song 
in the movie at that part, but it was switched. Whatever inspired the beautiful ones. Um, I used to have an argument with uh, with Chris, uh, the guy I usually I'm sometimes co-host with, one of the original people of the podcast. He thought Electric Intercourse was the superior song of the beautiful ones. And I said, that's not true. You know, just wait until you get the studio version of Electric Intercourse. And then he was so excited when it got released, then he heard it, and he just had to fess up that Beautiful Ones is, you know, the more superior song. Could you imagine, though, having to take out the Beautiful Ones for Electric Intercourse? And then some people just thought after they hear the 83 Benefit concert of August 3rd, that, oh, no, it was Electric Intercourse. But as everyone said in the book, the studio version was not superior to the live version that was recorded on August 3rd at all. The live version of that is really amazing. It, yes. it really is. But I think the thing that's important to understand is in the context of the movie, <clears throat> that would have been a perfect song for Vanity in the movie. But the movie changed because Vanity left in between the recording of the song and the shooting of the movie. So the song that came out with Beautiful Ones is is it might not have been influenced by Apollonia because she was not there at the time. Mm. But it was for that kind of character for that kind of actress and for that kind of um, part. And I think there's a huge difference. There was a darker thing if Vanity was in it. There's a huge dark edge to the movie if that would have been the case. And Apollonia brought, I think, light and and um, uh, a sense of... of um, the difference between Apollonia and Vanity would be sensuality and sexuality. Sensuality, Apollonia would be sensual, Apollonia would be sexual. And I think that the movie would have been very much different if Vanity was the actress in it so i think that that would have been it might have been good if for the electric intercourse to have vanity in it but beautiful ones is perfect to have a movie with apollonia in it to me at least you know so vanity um, was such a huge inspiration for him and we're finding out more out when it comes to the book but of course prince would do that whole thing that guys do i've never done it yet i don't plan on doing because i write songs but you know it'd be like oh this song's about you sure (laughs) Sure, I, I think that. I, well, I, here's the thing: if you could do that, uh, if you could, if you could meet women and be impress them with your music, and it came seemingly effortless to you, yeah, you'd do it. I mean, that's what. That's why people get into music. You know, <laughs> every kid looks at that and thinks, "Wow, look at that! Mick Jagger has beautiful women around him. I would like that." Yeah. So, and, and that's here's the thing: is one of the reasons I got into Prince in general was because girls liked Prince and they liked to dance. And I liked girls, so I'm I would like to be near them. And they're dancing. I would like to dance with them. I would like this music. And I started listening going, holy crap, I like this more than just as a an avenue to meet women. It was, and at the time it was girls because I was young, but I started realizing this is good music. This is really, and I my first influence for that was I heard Controversy when it came out. And then, obviously, 1999, and I was in college when 1999 was out, and that was one of our go-to jams. Um, and then Purple Rain hit, and that was the date movie that summer because you, you knew that you were going to be going to a a, um, a, a movie that would have <clears throat> great music, have good excitement, um, a very sexy plot, and uh, beautiful people in it. You know that it would be great. It's just a good date movie at the time, and and so. It was a good time. That was a great era to be around. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, and the January twenty first, two thousand sixteen show at Paisley Park for the debut of the piano and microphone show. Yes, Prince brought up. You know, never let a guy tell you that he didn't write songs to get girls. 
(laughs) (laughs) Like, this is him going throughout his entire career. And this was something, you know, that Prince brought up to me in 2013 is because I kept talking about uh, that there needs to be a book on Prince, but it needs to be the size of Sinatra books. Sure. It may not cover it all. So, you know, I was doing this on, on my spreecast and unbeknownst to a lot of people, Prince would always send stuff in whether it was songs or questions that he wanted to learn from the fans or other things. So he flew me out in 2013 to Paisley and, you know, I'm watching rehearsal for the Montreux sessions are about to take place. The Montreux performances. Wow. One of the first things he starts talking about is he wants to write a book uh, together. And he goes, people don't know, you know, I wasn't the one in in the studio doing stuff. They don't know who it was written about and all these things, but and I will always regret this. And I've said it before, just in the sense of, you know, Prince would still say this song wasn't about Susanna or this song wasn't about that. I wanted to wait a couple years to where he'd be like, yeah, okay, I was a little bit of a jerk at times on certain things. So I felt this idea of a book, I wasn't running at it, hitting the wall with it. Um, but I do have regrets of it. And that's why I'm glad, you know, eventually I'm going to write a book. But I'm really glad that books like yours are around that are so detailed. And this is why we got to make sure this succeeds and let people know, yeah, Purple Rain may have been done to death, but this is going to have stuff on it that those other books do not have. And Dwayne's purpose as well is he would like to do a series of books like this, you know, for the next one, 85, 86, correct? Which I believe is what Warner Brothers wants to do with Parade uh, Deluxe Edition. Now talk about that because I know this one took you – little about 20 years to write yeah yeah going forward well, it, how would you handle parade and stuff well by the time the next one would come out it'd be 20 years from now uh no uh, what <laughs> i don't have that luxury anymore do i right. um i i've done a lot of research for the second book already um the book would be probably take me about a year and a half to write um still because I, I work a day job and you know this is, books don't make money books are done out of love um i just hope i don't lose money um, but this, the second book, it would be basically covering the Purple Rain, last of the Purple Rain tour, the release of Around the World Day, the recording of Parade, the release of Parade, the Under the Cherry Moon movie, the Parade tour, um, the breakup of the revolution, um, the breakup of his relationships, um, the, um, breakup of the family, um, him recording everything pretty much from Sign of the Times, Crystal Ball and Dream Factory, Madhouse, The Flesh. Um, a lot of stuff. I actually counted how many, how many, um, studio sessions are in the second book and it's about 50 or 60 more than the first book. Isn't that ridiculous? It's crazy. It's crazy. Here's the thing I got to tell, make sure people understand. And I say this a lot, but I, I can't emphasize this enough. The beginning of, and you saw this when you look at the book, the beginning of 84, he recorded most of the, uh, ice cream castle album, mm. most of the, um, uh, Apollonia six album. Mm-hmm. A couple songs off of Purple Rain, uh, two songs off of that, all his B-sides, um, the Family album, Sheila's album, songs for the Bangles, songs for Sheena Easton. Mm-hmm. This is all within five, six, seven months. Right. That, that's nuts. And at the same time, he was also prepping for a tour, releasing an album, releasing a movie, um, and uh, editing, you know, working on the, finishing the movie, like I said. Right. Uh, so that's, that's when he's doing this. Nobody, and I, I, I get laughed at because I say this, but nobody, nobody does that. People go in the studio for Michael Jackson and they spend five days getting the drum sound right. 
if he doesn't get it in 15 minutes, that's the drum sound you got. And, and there's something, um, I don't want to say charming, but there's something urgent about his music and the fact that he's like, no, this has to come out. You're losing me. Yeah. I got to get this groove out. If I don't get this out, it goes, it, it's gone. And, and this guy lived music for, for people don't quite understand that you don't get that good by not playing. You get that good from playing and playing and playing and playing with people who push you and finding new ways to make sounds and pushing yourself. And you look at the pr- progress between Controversy, 1999, Parade, Around the World Day, uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Controversy, 1999, Purple Rain, Around the World Day, Parade, Sign of the Times, Love Sex. You see this building of, of, uh, of skills that he had. And, and there's, you know, to have those things. And then on top of that, to have different tours for each one of these things. The uh, Purple Rain tour is nothing like the Parade tour, which is nothing like the Sign of the Times tour, which is nothing like the Love Sexy tour. Mm. All of them different. All of them with, you know, some crossover players, but most of them have different people in each one. Right. Now that's, and, and that's in the course of three or four years. Right. That's, you know, that's a, that's a lifetime for any other artist. That's what he casually did over the middle of the 80s. Right. It's like he was a superhero when it came to music or Batman he, constantly training to be better and yes. all these other things. I remember one time he told me, like, he was telling me, you need to, you need to hustle, you need to do these things. And Prince said, I, I just was upset. I go, well, you need to hustle. He's like, I don't need to hustle anymore. I was <laughs> doing a movie, recording my album, recording Around the World in a Day, doing the time, doing Apollonia 6, mm-hmm. and prepping for other things that people don't even know about. I don't need to hustle anymore. I already hustled. Now, yep. the difference is, is that... It's like the Larry Miller joke who was in Pretty Woman. He had a joke where he talks about his dad. He's like, my dad will talk to me about having to walk through snow 30 miles to get to school and do all these other things. And he's all like, if I have to go to the bank and the cleaners in the same day, I need a nap. <laughs> like, yeah. I just wish whatever Prince had in that era. And even even later on in life, I wish we could bottle it up and take yeah. it. Because his work ethic and his drive is intense. Like he would, he would literally run, you know, engineers out. They need, they need, they needed a nap. They needed to bring in, you know, thank God Peggy had her, her, her boyfriend then became husband to help her out with stuff because she may have strangled him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I seriously, I think one of the things about the book that I didn't realize getting into it was seriously, how many studio sessions he had i thought oh yeah he had some no no this is his life and everything else was you know extra literally his focus was the studio stuff and getting music out you know and even when the fall came around of 84 he was still releasing singles and by the time he was pretty bored with purple rain but he was still releasing singles but he'd find ways to put different things on the b-side that were not from that era like more contemporary things like doing a, a longer version of uh, I Would Die For You or something like that because he wanted his most recent stuff out there. So he did that, and then when the week of, of that being – or a week or two of that being recorded, they were working on that to get that into a 12-inch, you know, that kind of stuff. So you, you, you see that most contemporary music is important to him, but he just kept going and going. And that's one of the reasons why he had so many things in the vault is because this guy – 
would get on Monday say, you know what, I got a great idea for an album. And he'd work and work and work on Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday go, oh, I got a better idea for a different album. And so the Monday, Tuesday thing didn't quite get finished. Got put off to the side. And it's kind of like when you're in a relationship with, you know, the first month or two or three of a relationship is this love that you have with somebody and they can do no wrong. And, and you know, everything, they, every laugh they have, every giggle is perfect. And I think Prince was like that with music to a certain extent. And, and after a while, the magic fell off of a, of a project and he got distracted and he had an interest in another project and he'd set this thing aside. And that's why the vault is so cool to so many of us is because it's got so many things in it. Not only we don't know, but things that are pretty cool that would I would like to, we've just heard of we just you know heard mention of. Luckily, in the book, I'm able to really go into detail about some of these things that are sitting in the vault waiting to come out that just haven't made it, and and whether it's been bootlegged or just not been out there at all is is intriguing. And I'm a, I'm a collector. I'm a person who wants to have every note he's ever done. You know, so. And it's, it's ridiculous. In, Just yeah. knowing that there is a longer version of 17 days yep. somewhere yep. and it wasn't on Purple Rain Deluxe and they couldn't get it just because it wasn't yep. in the Warner Brothers vault. Yep. Uh, but yeah. I love I love that and how you're able to delve into Erotic City and him bringing Sheila Ian and recording her album without her somewhat knowing. Right. But also being a part of it and how fast he was able to get that album out. And what's interesting is, is with that, um, that Sheila was the, Sheila's album out of Apollonia's and the times and himself. That was the last album that was actually really recorded, but it, yet it was the first one out the gate. Right. And that's again, with his more contemporary music, he was like, you know what? I want this out. And I think he wisely thought, let's get this out before purple rain and everything like that. Cause it's going to get lost in the shuffle. If it does, if it comes out after that, he's going to be torn up, getting up for the tour and everything like this, but putting it out, in you know a month or so before the the album and the movie really helped it and i, I think unfortunately you saw what happened with apollonia's album it got released after the movie and all the stuff and it kind of by that point he was too busy to do anything promotional wise for it and i think he kind of just said okay yeah here and the times in fact as well is is the time wasn't recording anything more the time wasn't a band after that and the time wasn't even doing the tour and so there was nothing to promote it and it went away whereas sheila he he ended up not only uh, releasing that, but then bringing her on the tour. Well, yeah, that's that's going to help sell the album a little bit. And originally, the tour was created. It was going to be Apollonia Six, The Time, and Prince, mm. kind of like the 1999 tour. And it just fell apart when the when the time basically broke up. And that was that. And I imagine the Purple Rain tour with the time at their most powerful, and the um. And, you know, being able to see Apollonia 6 with the time behind the curtain for them, that would have been kind of a fun show. Right. I, I think it would have been fun. I mean, I, I you know, the time I wish they would have had, I wish they would have had uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and, and Monty back in. But you know what? You got the time doing stuff from Ice Cream Castle album and other classic stuff. I think it would have been a great tour. And they, they were rehearsing for months prepping for that tour, ready for it, just, you know, every day rehearsing. And then all of a sudden find out that no Prince is pulling the plug because Morris isn't coming back. And Jesse goes, okay, I'm gone. And they all just, uh, the whole band fell apart. And it's, it's sad because right. the time is one of those projects that Prince did that got out of hand that he never let happen again. He let them develop a personality and let them develop, um, 
a relationship with the fans that I don't think he ever allowed any other band he did to do again. I think he realized this got out of his control and, and he said, I'm never going to let the family or whatever out, whatever band it is, have that kind of, um, uh, breadth and width for their career. And it's unfortunate because I think the family could have been amazing if they would have been able to continue. But the time is one of those things that I think he just found out, well, look what happened to this. And these guys are all talented and they would blow them off the stage some nights. Now, what, how many bands can blow Prince off the stage? You know, that's Not a lot. No, sometimes yeah, people forget that the time is a protege. Right. That's exactly. How good. They were exactly. And Sheila. I think that people don't, you know, they look back because Sheila's her own, you know, Sheila's her own celebrity and the time was their own celebrity. And I think that they, it, the time did not sound like Prince. And I think wisely he gave them songs that were not Prince songs necessarily. Right. You know, you, you cool is a great song and Prince doing cool on the 2011 tour was, I, I love that. That was to me fantastic. And he made it back to his song, but man, when the time did it, there was just something about this thick, funk that they did and you know there's a, every time i see the time perform especially when they have you know the times they bring back jimmy and terry and and monty there is just a cohesion to that band that you see them all moving together it's it there's just it's a team and there's just something about that that i don't think prince ever was ever able to get with another band that he did right you know and my own thought he would tell me the reason that cool sounded so good at the forum is because I'm the one that ran the soundboard and did the sound from when we were doing the 1999 tour. So I knew the way it was supposed to sound. That's why it <laughs> sounds better when I do it. <laughs> now I'm sure there's a little bit of arrogance behind that. A little, a I little. Lo I love the way it sounded, you know, during, during those shows, during the welcome uh, to America run. Um, another thing just with, with that, with Morris and kicking his tail some nights. Um, you know, I, I get some flack from people like when I'll bring up Sheila about her new album being out or other things. Like even when Prince had the fallout with Paul Peterson and that was really bad, you know, Prince found all these people. So right. he still wanted them covered. He didn't have a problem when I was covering F Deluxe on my site when they were arguing over the family name, he didn't have a problem with me covering the original seven. He wanted them covered and he wanted them mentioned. So even though, you know, Sheila at one time made out of falling out with Prince, wherever Prince is at right now, looking down, I'm sure he's understanding why I'm doing it because there's a sense of pride coming from him because I helped discover this person, whether it's Sheila or Jesse Larson or mm -hmm. Judith Hill there's pride that comes from him because he just has this attitude. Well, if it wasn't for me, no one would have known who they were. So there's a sense of pride with that. And that's where sometimes people have to understand, even when it came to what happened with jam and Lewis and them getting fired, he still right. had pride in him. Of course he'd rib them, you know, over the Janet songs, like who wrote that? But mm -hmm. there was always pride. And I'm sure these people were just as happy with Prince, even though they're watching from a little bit of distance going, man, that move over again. You know. Well, I think, I think there's a, a I, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's about a pride that with that. And, and, you know, there's also a financial reward as well. You know, when they releasing albums and they're his songs, he does well, you know, the guys at the bank know him very well, but I think there is a professional pride knowing that he 
helped create this and and to a certain extent discovered it. And he didn't necessarily discover Sheila because she had been doing things for a while before that. Right. But there's a lot of people, you know, Jam and Lewis were very talented before that, but they got their break because Prince was doing this. And then they right. took the break and became bigger, you know, really Jam and Lewis are to me as big of people that were, went through Prince as, as you probably could get. You know, they, they pretty much are, are about as big as you're going to get. Um, but there, there's... I'm sure there's a, a bit of pride with all this stuff because, you know, you don't want to work with people that you aren't proud of. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm assuming he had a lot of, you know, he, he surrounded himself with people that he wanted to be around. And, and if you didn't keep up, you were gone. Right. And, and I think the time more than proved themselves. And I think they upped his game. You get a tour, you're touring with a band that's blown you off the stage. Your game is going to be better that show and the next show. And you're going to watch what they do and you're going to say, I can do better. And that's it's an incestuous relationship, but it is um, one that we benefit from. I mean, the fans got a, a lot out of that because right. each band was trying to kick the other's ass mm-hmm. and arrogantly saying, We're going to kick your ass tonight. And, you know, there was a pride behind that to both sides. So. They all elevated their level. Yeah. Oh, it's something yeah. something Monty said, and this was in another article or interview he did because it wasn't with me, but he said something that made so much sense to me, and I think it's one of the wisest quotes in the book, is when Prince got on stage, the stage lifted a foot. Mm-hmm. It just did. That right. He would elevate the, the stage itself because he was that good. And I think that that's so true when you watch him. You can't stop looking at him. He's a guy that has this energy that brings you in. Even if he's off to the side while somebody's doing something, we're watching him. And you've got to have something yeah. really spectacular to make you take your eyes off him. And it, you know, it, it would have to be something like um, uh, uh, John Blackwell's drumming, which you're watching going, oh, my God, look at that. But even then, you're going to be looking back over at Prince to see what he's doing, or how he's reacting to that. Right. There was just this energy about what Prince was doing. And you watch the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when he does that solo. Mm-hmm. It's effortless, and yet you know that's 30, 40 years of working at it to make it effortless. But it, but you're drawn to and you're just sitting there going, I can't. You've got Tom Petty on stage. You're not even looking at Tom Petty. You're not even looking at, at uh, Jeff Lynne. You're looking at Prince. And, and then he takes the guitar and throws it in the air and walks off. And you think, yep, that's Prince. And we accept it, and we, we encourage it, and we reward it. <laughs> and because we, you know, right. I was uh, laughing about this recently thinking about you watch the Purple Rain tour and there's a guy on stage with heels and makeup and uh, uh, pants, things that are ruffles that go up to halfway across his stomach. And we don't question that at all. We're just sitting there going, this is magic. And he created that and saw this vision. And he's a 24, 25, 76 year old guy doing this. With the confidence of being able to go out there in high heels, in all this other stuff, and not one of us questions it. We're all just sitting there going, he's an artist, and we're happy that he's expanding our what we can do. And every one of us, I know as a fan and as an artist, look at that sort of freedom he brought to the table mm-hmm. and want that for whatever art we're creating. Whether it's you're doing a podcast or painting or writing books, you want to have that sort of freedom to 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 be the guy to make the decisions. And you were saying earlier, sorry to keep talking here, mm-hmm. but you said earlier about the books being like Frank Sinatra size. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the Sinatra yeah. books, there was 
two big books that you're talking about, the early ones, the early late years and later years, that are 900 pages each. And yeah, you kind of have to do that if you're going to tell the story. And even then, there's so much you're not able to tell. You know, and this, so when I started writing this, I got to 200,000 words and the publisher said, well, generally these books are about 120,000 words. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not cutting 80,000 words out of the book. Right. And they were very agreeable. And they said, tell you what, let's go through. And I started going through and thought, well, this is redundant and this one's not necessary. And well, if it's a story about somebody else, I may be able to cut that out for more about Prince and um, got it down to about 185,000 words. Um, which is still, like I said, 500 some odd pages. And most of these books are about two or 300 pages the most. So it's, this is a book that I remember when I handed you the book, you were like, holy crap, this is a big book. Right. <laughs> yeah. You throw your back out with it. And, and I think that's part of the fun. And I, what I'd love to do is eventually even come out with a deluxe version of the book. You know, this isn't deluxe enough, eh? Exactly. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's, the, but once I, here's the thing is once I finished it, I was like, oh, yeah, I would love to add this. Kind of, and, you know, there's going to be people that come out of the woodwork after this is out and say, you know what? I'll talk to you. I would love to talk to you. And I'd love to throw that stuff in or or rehearsals come out or sound checks or information, you know, and, you know, to correct minor issues that I may have factually. I may have one or two things in there where I say, you know, somebody pointed out that I said one album, uh, something or a single comes out in December and it actually came out in September. Okay, there's some typos and you know occasional things like that. You got to correct all that stuff on the next batch and and expand with you know an extra twenty five to fifty pages of new information. I you know as a fan of books and a fan of this kind of stuff, I would love that. You know, right, so right. yeah, so it just I, I'm I, to me there's just so much of a story to tell, and a book can only tell so much. You know, right. and so that's why. And this is just a two year period. You know, this is a five hundred page book on two years of the guy's life. You know, I, I want to do more of these, but again, I can't do them if, unless if this one does well and gets some attention, I can do the second one. But I have to be able to justify it to my wife and daughter why daddy's going to be, you know, spending every evening and every weekend <laughs> working again. Because right. my as soon as I finish this, I have a seven year old daughter, and she said, "Oh, great, you're done. We can hang out." Like, yeah, funny thing, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> and it's tough because. She comes in the room and wants to tickle, and I go. I'd say, okay, I'm putting the book down, and and that's probably why it takes a little longer, is because I want to spend the time with my daughter. She's seven; she turns eight this week, and I want to, I want to have the time with her. I want to spend the time in doing things with her, and I want to make, you know, because I won't get that back. So right. it's, it's it got to find a balance between writing more and making sure I'm there for my daughter, and and uh, that I can give her everything that she deserves and stuff like right. that. So yeah. So and as a kid growing up. You know, I'd be reading a lot of comic books, but, sure. you know, when I found the Stephen Ivory book on Prince and the John mm. Green book on Prince, it was like whenever new Spider-Man was out, it was all about uh, the Stephen Ivory book and yep. the John Green book. Yep. And both are great. Both are great books. But yeah. this is more in depth. I mean, there was such a mystery about Prince back then, like a lot of the facts that are in those books are wrong they didn't know it but they were wrong this book is so detailed that it's not you're gonna have to go back and take back stuff and that's why i appreciate the research that you did and the 20 years to get it done i want you to do another book i want you to spend more time with the daughter but we're gonna uh, (laughs) lessen that time of how long it's gonna take to get the book out yeah i i think if i do another one which i really want to I, i i i 
I'm not going to try to trick you and say, I don't know. I'll be coy. I would love to do a second book. I would love to do the third book. I have to me right now. I, I have enough material that I could do 85, 86, 87, 88, and then 81, 82, which should be a really good range of stuff. And I would love to go into the nineties eventually, but I don't have the details. What I'd like to do is that I hope that the honesty and the detail in this book that I can go to Warner Brothers and say, look, I'd like to know more about the suggestions you did in the 90s and if they'd help me with that. Or I could go to the estate and say, you know what? This is what I can do. This is what should be done. And get people saying to them, you know what? If we're going to have archivists doing this stuff, I would love to be a part of that. Just even a small part helping to kind of say, well, this is where I see this stuff having come from. Because I think there's things in here that could have made the Purple Rain Deluxe album better. You know, if you knew okay, this was done on this date, it would make it, there's something thrilling about seeing when something's done. You go and look and when, I wonder if my birthday's in there. I wonder what I was doing that day. You know, and I, I remember seeing albums that they would have um, a, um, a range, like it would say, this was recorded over June and July of 1984. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, ooh, I remember that month. Or, you know, but seeing not only the day, but the time of day, that Prince was recording certain things. I just got such a, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I, it made me happy knowing that I could look at that and say, oh, at three o'clock that day, he went in the studio and recorded When Doves Cry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I find that stuff to be, you know, um, it makes, here's the issue with music I have right now is I've gone through several stages with Prince's music. First time you get it, you sit there with headphones and you hear everything and it's new. It's, again, the first time you're meeting in, uh, a new relationship, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is. And it's it's magic. And then Prince died. And the music took a turn for me because I couldn't hear his music without it being filtered through the fact that Prince was gone. And I started um, feeling like I would listen to lyrics and go, oh, sometimes it snows in April. That's saying all kinds of stuff. And no, it wasn't, but I was reading into it. And what I'm hoping is that this, by putting it back in context of when he was happy, when he was healthy, when he was surrounded by people that loved him, when he was young and energetic and working so hard that it brings that back to that point. And you can get a snapshot on that time again of what Prince was like when he was 24, 25, 26 years old and full of energy and full of, you know, full of piss and vinegar and just ready to go. And nobody could stop him. And everybody just said, okay, Prince, whatever you want to do, you want to do an album like this? Great. And, and you want to do an instrumental thing on the back of a 45 called God? Mm. Sure. No problem. And, and I hope that this brings it back to that where people then listen to the music and are able to kind of rekindle with an old relationship they had. You know, that might have been tainted because of Prince's passing, because everything I hear now, of Prince, I hear through the prism of him being gone. You know, that's just me. So. Yeah, I still can't listen to Sometimes It Snows in April live version yep. Yep. studio. I afford it. I mean, yep. <clears throat> see, the thing is, is that Prince's music throughout his entire career. There's so much life behind it that sometimes when you're listening to his music, I'll be driving around and be like, man, I can't believe he's gone. Yep. Just because so much energy. And I used to have this whole thing, because I know Prince would say about it as well, but I always be like, what's your favorite concert? I go, the next one. 
I can't say that anymore. And it right. pisses me I, off. Yep. Um, yep. I know. I agree. I think that I think the other thing with Prince and I think that when you, when I'm, I, when you and I met, we talked for a couple of hours I and mean, we sat there and talked for a bunch of time just sitting there. And it, you have that kind of relationship with people that know Prince and understand Prince and want and like the music. There's an instant kinship. I might not have met you any other way. And then you and I talk and all of a sudden we're like old friends because we're citing lyrics and citing examples and citing mutual friends. And I think that there's a, a relationship Prince had with his fans that's on a very personal basis. We'd listen to his songs on the headphones. We'd hear him singing. We are in on his jokes. Basically, he welcomed us into a club. When he's playing live, you, you know, he was talking to you in the audience. And I think that that's the thing that's going to be missing about us now is because we don't have that collective. We don't have that group thing that all of us can kind of get behind and say, okay, we're getting together for another Prince show. We're getting together for another Prince album. And I think that's a thing that's sad. But what it's done is also brought a bunch of the fans in the community together in a way that we have to replace something. Not that we can replace him, but we have to replace that feeling that we got. And it brings us all together. And there's a spiritual side to that that I didn't recognize before that is about the relationships with each other. That part of the reason why his music was so diverse, or well, a better way to explain it is his music was so diverse whether it's jazz or blues or funk or rock or pop, that meant his audience is going to be that diverse. And you meet people that, again, you would never, ever meet. I'll tell you a great story, um, and it's about the book. When I announced the book back in March of this year, I was done with the book a year, a, a month before Prince died, but I didn't announce the book coming out officially until March of 2017. I announced it, and there's a certain price. The, the book is a certain price, and, and people really liked the when I announced it. It was announced several places, and people shared the, the, the post. One person said that I'm not paying this hmm. and you know, was outraged. Like, that, why would somebody ask for it? You know, they, they thought, ah, oh, they didn't understand that. No, I've been working on this for 20 years and stuff. And he wrote, this is an outrageous price. There's no way I'm going to pay this. Right. And I, I wrote on his Facebook page, and I said, I understand what you're saying. You know, I'm trying to find ways to get it discounted for people um, and that it's important to me to get this out there. But I had nothing to do with setting the price. This is a publisher that sets the price. And we had a nice conversation about this. Fast forward about uh, until this past April. So it was about a year. And I'm in Minneapolis getting on a plane and a guy standing next to me after the celebration. He's got a bunch of Prince clothes on. And we started talking and, and I said, you know, we, we're, you know, Southwest so we could sit next to each other. I thought, oh, yeah, it'd be great to sit next to the guy. And I mentioned I'm, I'm writing a book and we started talking and we sat down and he said, I have to confess something to you. About a year ago when you announced it, I said on my Facebook page that I didn't want to pay this. And I was like, you're the dude. Because it was really, you know, one guy. And we started talking and we laughed and we had a great time. And I had my computer with him and I with my eyes and I showed him the book. I said, here's the book. Take a look at it. And I showed him and I let him read the intro. And he was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he's become like a, a great friend and a big advocate of this. And, and it was fun to see once he saw it, he understood what I was trying to do. And he was like, I want this book. This is a book that I want. This is the book that I want to read. And I realized I wrote the book for myself. I wrote the book that I wanted to read, not knowing if there would be other people that wanted this. And I realized now, yeah, 
there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us that want to know what he did and what he, you know, uh, the example I give in, in the book is is playing God, uh, the song. He's in the studio and the stuff isn't working, stuff isn't working, stuff isn't working. And it finally got to work and he's in the studio and he, he basically plays the song God, the vocal version, once. Mm-hmm. Gets done with it, stands up, walks out of the studio without saying a word, goodbye. And... You know, they, he wasn't. He didn't even talk to Susan Rogers before he left. He's like, "Yep, done, bye." And you're thinking, that's a confidence in this sound. And it's like, this is the moment I was trying to capture, and I hope I got it. But if I didn't, I'm out of here. And there's a you now. You go back and listen to that, thinking you're picturing him sitting there playing this, and at the end, standing up, closing the lid on the piano, and walking out. And right. and that that to me adds a layer to his music that. I didn't have before. Right. And I, I, I tell you, I still, as goofy as this sounds, I still love going through this book and going, oh, yeah. And I almost, this is a big, thick book. And I there's things I not not really forget, but there's things that I'm going, oh, yeah, that, this kind of ties in with that, that I didn't even catch. Um, you know, he's doing songs like he's talking about in um, Chlorine Bacon Skin. He mentions, you know, it's a jungle out there, whatever he says. I forget what he says exactly. But he had just recorded Jungle Love the day before, two days before. And so you're like, oh, oh, he's referencing himself. He's his own inspiration. <laughs> and that's, right. that's fun to me. I, I, as a fan, I enjoy that. I, there's something just fun about knowing what was going through his mind. As much as we can understand him, because we never will. But, you know, and, and that's why the book, with all the people I interviewed, back to your original question, um, all the people I interviewed, I wanted them to tell the story. I really wanted them to, to let them tell his – narrate the, the book. And I would be in there to kind of link the things together. But I wanted to have their words and their thoughts and, and their memories kind of telling the story because they were there. And they were sat there next to him in the studio. And who are you going to get to tell you the truth about what happened in his session than the person that sat there during the session? You know, that's, that, that's priceless to me. But, yeah, so another thing I liked, and I just have to stress that this book is definitely worth the money. You know, it, it is, it isn't like a hundred pages. It's, you know, 500 <laughs> pages and extensive. Yeah. Now what's interesting is, is that <clears throat> you knew somewhere along the way during the recording of purple rain that Prince knew this was going to be a massive, tremendous success. And already, even before doing the tour, but he knew he had to do the tour. Before he did the tour, he was already working even almost twice as hard to get stuff out for Around the World in a Day and get stuff ready that would make up the next album because he didn't want to be pigeonholed as the Purple Rain guy. Right. And it's just amazing to me. And you just see it. You know, we know now, but he knew even before the album was going to come out, this is going to be a massive success. I have to start looking at the next projects. Right. That's what's so amazing. You, you're able to cover all of that. I think that's, I think that's something that kind of, you're right, that does get overlooked is the fact that he was already prepping for the next album, already mm-hmm. prepping everything. And even when he came out with the album Around the World a Day, which was at the like a week or two after the tour ended, he was in the studio that next week recording Parade, which was the album came yep. out next. So he was, he was a year ahead of everything. And by the time stuff came out he was a bit bored with it i think the difference with around the world a day was i don't think he was necessarily bored with it because he didn't get to play it that much 
you know, he wasn't rehearsing a right. tour with it. He played only some of the songs, and even then in fractured parts on the tour. Um, but yeah, that's just, he, I think he understood that I'm going to be busy, and I'm going to, to you know, make sure I have a, an archive of stuff. Also, the other thing is, this is a guy who just recorded. This is a guy whose life, whether it was his social life and meeting women or his friendships, was around music and around right. You know, being in the studio. And so you have a, a, a place that you get to go that is your private sanctuary and you invite the people you want to be in the sanctuary. Well, that's, you know, this is what he did. This is, you know, it's as, as it's like us doing something else we love. If you if you, you know, I, I put, devoted a lot of time to writing this book every night and every weekend. But I have a day job, so I can't right. do it 24 seven. His day job was putting on his clothes, going to the studio. And he may not have had a song in his head when he went in there and he might get out there and play on the piano for a little bit. And you realize he'd sometimes go, you know what? Here's a song. And sometimes you go, you know what? I'm going to a movie. And cause I don't have a song in my head. And there were times that he did just kind of want to get a jam down and you go, Oh, that's not a great song. You know? Um, and he just kind of say, okay, I had to get that jam out of my head. I'm putting that in the vault and I'm moving on to the next song. And you, you realize during the same time that he did um, uh, When Doves Cry, within a month or so, he was doing Velvet Kitty Cat, which is not a you know, not a very good song, really, to me. Mm. But he was, you know, it shows the range of what he was doing. He said, okay, i got to get something down. Now, Velvet Kitty Cat may speak to some people, and it may be somebody's favorite song. What's cool about Prince is my favorite song may not be your favorite song, but they both right. exist. And so... I don't necessarily have to have the same favorites you have because I can like Let's Go Crazy and you can say I don't like his rocking songs. I like more, you know, slow songs like God or like Condition of the Heart or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so but they both exist and we both can say, yeah, you know what? We're both Prince fans, but we may not like the same things because he gave us not only the variety, but the sheer amount of songs. And even with Apollonia 6 album, there's songs that like uh, in a Spanish villa, which is unlike anything else he's done. But it's, it's kind of hidden at the very end of the album where you're going, huh, I would never have noticed that. Right. And and I think you're like me in the fact that you like to have, even when he comes out with a protege album, you'll get it. Because you know that, in essence, it's a Prince album. The family is a Prince album with somebody else doing vocals. Right. You know, that's just the way it is. And, and um, so we accept that. And, you know, we got madhouse and we got all the different protege albums knowing full well that prince had a say in this and and again we're collectors we want to have every note he did every lyric he did and understand his story and, right. and there's no way we're going to get that but we're going to try and and also i think I, I learned if you don't get some of those protege albums when they come out you're not going to get much of a chance to get them later if you know what i mean yeah yeah so hard to find little more rare yeah i had to yeah. i got japanese import of the uh, uh family album because i had to you know mm. but but you know i think the other thing to understand is i'm a fan i've been a fan since the mid 80s early 80s really mm. and so and i remember in the 80s collecting tr tapes and people sending tapes back and forth of a fourth generation black album and and you just wanted to get the third generation because you wanted to have a little less hiss on it right. um and I just remember that time of waiting by the mailbox for a, for a cassette to come and that, that thrill of knowing 
I've heard the name of the song, but I don't know what it's about. Don't know what it's like. And everybody's saying it was the best song ever. And, and just that feeling of um, right. that thrill. And I think the sad thing is we'll never have that thrill when it comes to new stuff. But hopefully the family, the estate, the uh, um, people who are taking care of his, uh, his uh, stuff and Warner Brothers can come together and figure out a way to release some of the things that are there. And I know there's some people that say, oh, this stuff shouldn't be released. But you know what? He, I think he's bigger than just himself. I think he's, a, I think he's an artist that people can learn from and that generations should study. And so you're going to have to have some of the stuff that's not as quite as great. And right. just to understand this is the process. And it's going to be like Da Vinci's sketches or Picasso's sketches that sometimes it's great. Sometimes you're going, okay, well, that didn't work out quite possibly. But it also shows you don't be afraid to fail. Right. You know, and I think that's that's the other thing that's really important is, is uh, you know, and the first couple albums he had are not great, not as good as his later albums. And, you know, he grew mm -hmm. as an artist. And I think that, I think it's important for people to understand that he was vital. And when he was young, Purple Rain gave him the the credibility and also the financial ability to do all the albums that came after that. Yeah. And when yeah. it comes to like artificial age and phase two, still that gets a lot of play for me. Mostly some of the later 90s stuff. Not as not as much. It seems that he was working his way through something. I know sure. how I feel about that is how a lot of people feel about his much later stuff. His much later stuff to me, he was trying stuff that Purple Rain afforded him the luxury to do right. that he wouldn't have been able to do without it. Now, another Absolutely. interesting thing is that and of course, this has come to light in the past year because it is out there. Um but there was like a Paisley Park instrumental version that was made even before uh, the regular Paisley Park that was made later on that eventually became a studio. So though, like things like that and as well as, um, uh, you know, the Coleman brother being able to get studio time as a birthday gift to record around the world in a day. That was pretty awesome, too. Uh, the Paisley Park instrumental was recorded in March, I think. I want to say March eighth or ninth of eighty four, and right, it was a right. um, just a, a just studio jam. Just kind of went in there, and yeah, you're right. It, it is floated around. Um, mm. People got a hold of it, and it's come out. And it probably wouldn't be something that would come out, but it has nothing to do with uh, the song Paisley Park. But it's the first time that he used the phrase Paisley Park in any right. of his work orders or anything like that. So there's a um, an interest to that, and I think that. People heard, oh, he recorded Paisley Park in the spring of 84. Well, no, he recorded the instrumental, which has nothing to do with it. It literally is right. nothing in common with it. Um, and it had a lot of sound effects and things like that. The other thing that's kind of fun to me is finding the, the origins of some of the sound effects. Um, the sound effects libraries where some of the stuff came from because of the song like Pop Life. There's the um, throw the bum out, you know, I hear the crowd. And, you know, you heard the rumor for years that, oh, that's from his – Rolling Stones show that they, you know, they, they uh, got booed off stage. Well, no, I found out exactly where that came from. It came from a, a and I, I give you the name of the album and the, the track. It's, it's a sound, you know, it's a, it's a um, sound effect. So that kind of stuff is kind of fun to, and then when you go back, you hear, oh, you're right. There is a body falling in this song. Oh, you're right. There's a, a toilet flushing in this song. And there's, oh, there's seagulls in this song. And, and that kind of stuff, again, makes 
to me want to listen to the music again. It makes me want to start the relationship with some of the stuff in a way that I didn't have. And I think that's that's again part of the fun of uh, of discovering this stuff. What was right, the second right. you said? What was the other song that you said? Uh, you said For Paisley around Park? the world in a day, how it oh, came yeah, to yeah. be. Well, the cool thing I, I don't know. I keep saying the cool thing about this, but there's to me a lot of cool things in this. Uh-huh. Is David Coleman, who has passed away, unfortunately, um, I was able to interview him, and I don't know too many people that did interview him, and he is one of these unsung heroes that people don't quite get. That he kind of turned. Prince's career mm-hmm. in a way that people don't get. He played cello and a few other things on several of the songs and was brought in by Lisa when she was doing the instru- uh, the uh, uh, orchestration of sorts, uh, strings and things like that. Not really orchestration, but the, the, the strings and things like that on songs. Um, before Claire Fisher was doing it, it was Lisa Coleman doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but she would bring in her brother and Susan Kadiyama and uh, Novi Novog and people like that. And uh, the fun thing is, is David told me stories about recording these things and what it would be like going in the studio and, and how he had, you know, what he had on his mind. And the, oh, this was the, the theme to a TV show I was doing that I just kind of changed a little bit. And that made this, that part. And you're going, Oh, father knows best. I would not have recognized that, but thank you for telling me that. And, and then Lisa, when I interviewed her, she talked extensively about David and his influence. And I think that by doing around the world today, which is a song he recorded on his own with you know some of the other Coleman's and, and uh, Melvoins, that it directed Prince's career in a way that he didn't expect. I mean, Around the World a Day is really such an outlier that you, it, it sounds like nothing he'd ever done before. And it was obvious that somebody else brought something to him that said, pay attention to this. And he said, yes, I like this influence. I will follow that direction and take it where it goes. And that to me is part of the fun of seeing somebody's career take shape and david coleman was a huge 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 um influence on him and and whether it was with uh we can funk or even on take me with you with the finger symbols that stuff came from david coleman and if it wasn't for him a lot of the sounds that prince was using during that time the oud and things like that would not have been out there and jonathan melvoin as well did some stuff but but these are people behind the scenes that that really have not gotten a lot of recognition mm-hmm. and I, I think deserve um, to be not only recognized but spotlighted um, for right. what they did to help shape his career and, and help guide it. Because people, like I said before, Sheila, uh, Eric Leeds, and people like that really did direct his his music in, in a way that, that uh, other people mm-hmm. didn't. Wendy and Lisa did too. I think, you know, people... I hear people rank on Wendy and Lisa sometimes, and I'm thinking, they were there. You know what? You, 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 they were there during the stuff. They know this stuff. They mm-hmm. were involved with what was there. I wasn't there in the studio, so I can't say. But he he didn't keep around him people that could not influence him in that way. You know, he would have them for a little bit, maybe do an album with them, but not many albums and not right, tours. Right. He handpicked the people in his bands. And if you couldn't keep up, you were out. And you and I both know there's many people that try to get in his bands that just couldn't cut the mustard. And you mm-hmm. have to bring something to the table that Prince didn't have at that moment. And you had to have something very special. And so when he picked the revolution, there's a reason why they're the Mount Rushmore of, of uh, to a lot of people of, of Prince bands because – they were there on stage when he recorded the stuff on the August 3rd, 83 show. They were, they were the handpicked people he wanted. He could have had anybody. 
but he picked those people and you have to respect what he did. So, you know, that's, that's my feeling about this at least. Now, speaking of musicians, yes. you got to do your forward Questlove. How did that yeah. come to be? Questlove is a friend of a friend. And when Questlove, first off is like, he, he knows music. He knows music from, um, doing it because he's in the roots and he's on the tonight show. And uh, just in general, he just is a study, a fan of music. You, you ask him anything about Prince or anything about Michael Jackson or, or even funk, and he will have a reference or, or know somebody or do, you know. And he also knew Prince. And I thought, well, yeah, I want to have somebody doing a forward. Forward, you want to have a great somebody who brings something to the table, not just somebody that, you know, you want to have somebody that's going to, that people are going to go, oh, okay, I respect this person. Questlove, I respected. I've respected for a long time. And then he saw. A few of the pages, he saw them, a couple pages from the mid, mid-August of 83, which is when they were recording the strings for Purple Rain and stuff like that. Right. And he was like, oh, my God. And he wrote me and said, this is the shit. And he was like so excited. And so we worked on how to, how to find a way to have him involved. And we talked about publishing it together or something like that. And it wasn't working out. And I said, would you be interested in writing the forward? And he said, absolutely. And so he wrote the forward, sent it to me. I didn't change a thing. And basically – it's he is such a fan of the book and he's he's tweeted about this several times even last week he tweeted about it he's got you know almost four million followers well yeah i like having him tweet this stuff (laughs) and also he's a good guy and 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 you know i've only met up with him once and and you know in all the time we've we've been back and forth talking and stuff but nobody out there really gets into the fanboy stuff and can kind of straddle it into having worked, you know, in the studio and not, and not really the studio, but, but jamming with them like that. You know, there's very few people that can really kind of bring that, what he brings to the table. And so, um, right. that to me was a thrill having him involved. Cause I think that, you know, also people see it and they go, Oh, if Questlove takes this seriously, I should look into this. Yeah. That, that, that makes it great for me. You know, um, and and I I can't honestly I can't say enough great things about what Questlove has brought to this because he has been an advocate, uh, cheerleader, and and there to kind of tell me you know um, how excited he is and and he when I mentioned the book back in uh, last year he texted uh, or he tweeted um, this is the book we've been waiting for forever. Well, you know what that's 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 a that's 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 the review everybody wants to have. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I can't. I'm glad you brought him up because I, I I really. And he was the way I got to him was through the people that were helping behind the scenes with the book. I have several people mm-hmm. that were that were helping with the scene uh, behind the scenes book. Uh, uh, Yost, Thomas, Cam, Scott. These are all guys that I listed in the back of the book who were there for me every day, bouncing ideas off, proofreading things, bringing me information. And then introducing me to Questlove and then, you know, other people involved with the book like Alan Freed who gave me stuff. Um, Alex uh, Hahn who uh, wrote another book by, about Prince Possessed and other stuff. And he and I were talking daily and Alan Light and I were talking when both of us were uh, trying to get our books out. And we were back, you know, back and forth thinking about things, trying to, you know, bounce ideas off each other. There's, I think there's a community out there of people that are, you know, writing about this stuff. Steve Park. And I've been old friends, and, and we talked about this many times. And he wrote something on the back of my book, and um, I've said great things about his book. And so we just there's 
I think there's people that want to have these stories out there and want to have the truth out there. And if you're doing it from an honest place with a good intention and a good place in your heart, you know, I think it's going to be received like that too. And I think right. also people do see when somebody's trying to make a buck. And, you know, I think we all have that smell test and we go, ah, I don't know about this one. But I think we all know also where something is somewhat authentic where people know, you know what, this is done from the heart and this is done because I, I love the topic. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, and like I said, I, I worked on this for a long time. And then the year, Prince passed in April of 2016. And in January of 2016, I was just about done. I was getting close and I was going through a period where I wasn't working for a few weeks because I do freelance work. And my wife said, you know, I know you've been working on this because she had told me a few years to, earlier to, to start back on it. And she said, you got four weeks. Make this your day job. Hmm. And I did. And I cranked it out. And March 15th of 2016, I finished it. And again, it was done, ready to go. And uh, then he died a month later. And I thought, <laughs> and I thought, do I even come out with a book? And I didn't know. And I talked to the people who I interviewed and they said, yeah. You should. You should come out with a book because you've been working on it for 20 years. And, and I went through it. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but there's uh, the toughest thing for me going through it was having to um, change all the things in the book from Prince is to Prince was. Right. And that's, oh, man, even just thinking about it, it's tough because there's a, a finality about be, not being able to say Prince is the most interesting artist out there. It became Prince was you know, or Prince, Prince, you know, whatever. I didn't change anybody's quote because their quotes are snapshots into that, that moment in time. But I, I had to change my own thing because the book was now being written post Prince. Right. Or not written, but, but adjusted and corrected. And, and, mm -hmm. uh, I wrote it knowing that full well, he could read it and he could be a little litigious at times. So I didn't want to have anything in there that was controversial. I had, you know, it was, it was, a um, fairly flattering and very complimentary, but, but real, you know, I I want to make sure people understand his humor and people understand his generosity and his charitable giving and and his relationships and how he surrounded himself with people who had the same goal of of this and so I, I really want to make sure that was in there but you know he could easily have said I'm going to sue this guy and even if he didn't have a case he had enough money to you know to just sue just to sue so I was I thought you know what I want to make a book that he's not going to think that with and I I wrote a book that I think if he was around would read it and go yep you know what he pretty much got it and there's gonna be things he'd go well i don't know but that was prince too and, and i think that i think that he'd look at it and say yeah you know what that's kind of how it went and if i got 90 percent of the way there well, yeah I'm, I'm pretty happy with that so yeah that's cool like i said i cannot recommend it enough there's been some other prince books that have come out that i haven't finished um but this one, I had to start it, went through it, loved it. Can't say enough good things about it. It's worth the price. Trust me, you guys. That's that's all I can tell you is just it's detailed and you're gonna learn some stuff. Did you learn you things? With, were there things in there you learned? I know I you know so. Like you know stuff. So I, I was I wasn't sure yeah, if there was there there was. Um, what I'm starting. To to think of, of what is happening with me is last year was a lot to deal with not only yeah. with this passing, but, you know, trying to do everything I could to make sure that I was available, whether the press was in Australia 
or here or in New York or in the UK, making myself available, just afraid that they would talk to the wrong people and get things wrong. So my health went a little bit to the wayside because of it and other things. So um, I'm needing a book like this because I think last year took so much out of me. There may have been like a fraction or two of things that um, I forgot from the past of stuff when I wasn't involved in and was just a kid, you know, but I just feel that you're hearing so many stories and you're also hearing from others kind of like a rewriting of history. And that's why I think books like yours are important because you have to make sure that the story is correct and not a rewriting of history. Right. So that's why I appreciate and you you covered all the bases interviewing everyone. And yeah, there are conflicting stories, but there's sure. always going to be something like that. Oh, yeah. But uh, there's, there's things that people, one person says and the other person says everything. That's, mm. you know, just the way it is. And, and even just in general, if you and your friends get together for beers, you're talking about something 30 years ago. You say, that's not the way it happened. I remember I was there. No, I was there too. You're just, just the way it's going to be. And especially when you're thinking about something as big as Prince, there's mm. going to be different memories and people are going to feel like their story should be told. And there's, there's, I don't want to say there's there's rewriting of history because I don't think that's actually what it is. But I think there's people that remember things because they were there and, and heard different things. And Prince was very good about, you know, saying one thing. Best example of that in the book, I think, is is he would have relationships with, with many different women at the same time. And that's just mm-hmm. sort of how it was. And, you know, somebody asked me recently, why did he do that? Because he could. He got away with it. He was, he was Prince. And, you know, that's just him and and he was 20 again 24 25 26 years old you're one of the biggest stars on the planet you're going to you know enjoy the banquet a little bit i guess you could say um but he would kind of navigate those waters by he'd say okay i'm gonna bring sheila in to record but then after sheila would leave he'd say to his engineer can you call up jill and bring jill in and so jill would come in and Jill would record for a few hours, and they'd say, "Okay, can you?" After Jill leaves, can you call in and he name somebody else? And and that's just how he did. And one of the funniest lines in there was um, uh, Jill was talking. Peggy Peggy Mercury was talking about having done that. You know, mm-hmm. okay, she had a, a paper that had who she could call. And uh, Jill said something in the book about how how courteous Peggy was that she never said, Oh my God. You know, when Joe would show up, you just missed so-and-so you should have seen her. You know, it didn't do anything like that. It was like, these are, you didn't talk about this stuff back then. And, and Prince would, I'm shocked that he had this much time to be in the studio because <laughs> considering all the things he was doing socially, mm-hmm. I don't know how he was able to manipulate all this stuff. He just, he had, you know, he knew his priorities and he, he was able to get them and everybody was on there protecting him. And the other thing that I found is everybody was – I talked to a lot of people after he passed because I reached out to a lot of people I knew because I have gotten a relationship with some of these people. Um, uh, and all of them were very protective of Prince across the board really. I didn't hear anybody talking shit about him. I didn't hear anybody talking, you know, and everybody said the same thing, which I worked hard because he worked hard. Nobody worked harder than him. So everybody kind of upped their game and you were a better musician after you worked for him. You're a better engineer after you worked for him. You were a better singer after you worked for him because not only did you watch him and learn, 
you saw how much work he put into it. Like I said, to be, to look effortless, he worked hard. And every dance move, he'd do rehearsals. He'd be rehearsing for six hours just to work out a, a, a microphone thing where he'd kick it, kind it back, pop it up. And that's just how he was. And, you know, this, his safe zone was whoever he ra- allowed around him. And he was just dedicated to music. One of the biggest things I thought in there was interesting to me is, is uh, one of the um, – Cubby Colby said every – to tell you how much stuff is in the vault, every rehearsal – um, that was done had about five or six or seven 90 minute tapes that were done. Now he rehearsed every day pretty much. So you can imagine how many cassettes are in the vault of rehearsals and, and sound checks and things like that. He could, he'd get to a city, they'd be setting it up and he'd be starting the band playing while they were still setting up the, the the risers and things like this, just because he wanted to get out there and play, and they would jam for four or five hours, and then they would take a break and eat dinner, and then they'd jam for a little bit more if they could for the sound check, playing controversy and stuff like this, and then they'd do the concert, and after the concert he'd do an after show, or he'd say, okay, you know what, let's stay and I gotta work out this one tune, and they'd stay and they'd play the ladder or something like that, trying to work it out or temptation, right. and that's just what he did, and and. You know, I can't imagine other bands. I can't imagine Phil Collins, who I love Phil Collins, but I can't picture him going there and getting there at two in the afternoon and jamming all day before a show and then doing after show and then doing all You just, it doesn't, people don't do that. But Prince did that because that was his life. His life was around music and everything about that. And every time you talk to him was probably about music in some form. You know, you should have done this during the show or whatever it was. It just, he was a sponge for knowledge, but he was the he was as musical as anybody's going to get. And he, I, I think that that's the thing I want to make sure gets stressed in the book is his charitable work, his humor, but also his dedication to to what he did because nobody does nobody nobody does you know, the things he does in the studio and then live and then rehearsals and then just just on a whim and then doing five or six albums from some for other people. Right. You know, that he wrote and produced everything and played on almost everything. And you know that anytime he could go over to somebody else in the band and take their instrument and say, this is how you do it. And you'd be like, okay, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, you know, th- that doesn't happen. So we were blessed to live in the time when he was uh, doing his career and watching it happen in real time. And we're lucky to have gotten all the stuff he did. Sometimes I feel like maybe he was doing stuff so much because he knew he had a limited time here. Maybe, you know, maybe he realized I've only got a certain amount of time left. And even if it's 40, 50 years, I've still got to do 70 or 80 years over the music. So I don't know. You know. This is Dwayne Tudal. The book yeah. is Prince in the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983 and 84, November 15, 2017, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. November 15th, it comes out. Yes. Okay. November 15th. And, and before I go, I want to say, uh-huh. but first of all, I want to make it quick. I want to tell you the reason why I like your show, and I know you didn't want me to say this or you probably weren't expecting me to say this. I like your show a lot, and I'm a big fan of your show, so when you invited me on there, it's a, it's a huge honor. But the reason why I like your show is because you know your shit, and you know what you're talking about, and you know these people, and you're the kind of person, and you have the connections where you, back in the day, you could have gotten in touch with Prince. You had a way to get in touch with him. So you're not just – we're all fans, and you and I are both fans. 
but you also had a way of guessing with some accuracy because you had knowledge. And if you didn't weren't sure of something, you could second guess that through Prince or through one of the revolution or whoever it is because you have that sort of access. So I respect not only your your overview of his career because you, you're not just a fan of Purple Rain. You and I talked about albums that he released post Warner Brothers and mm. had just as much knowledge about those things. But what you bring to the table and what's vital to what you bring to the table is enthusiasm, knowledge, and a quest for the truth. And you go to the sources for the truth. And I, I have to admit, there's something that's just, you get that this guy has a legacy that deserves to be pushed and to be expanded on. And, and you do everything you can. And there's something that needs respect from that with what you do because I, I like I said I was a fan of this and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke up your ass I just think that what you bring to the table is so important when it comes to Prince's career especially now that it's up to all of us to make sure that people in the next generation and outside this understand that he was important he was vital and he there's a reason why he was so damn good and you do that so Honestly, thank you for inviting me on the show, Brother Jeremy. It was a complete honor. And thank you for pushing the book because and, – and, and your review of the book is, is what I hoped for. When I handed this to you, I was hoping you'd get it. And not only did you get it, you, you know, you've told me this exceeded your expectations. That just makes me so happy. So thank you. Thank you, Dwayne. I appreciate all the comments. Um, yeah, still just trying to do it for him. That's what it's all about now. Yep. I think that's what we're all doing. Things what we're all doing. Yep. Make sure you can order the you can pre-order the book now on Amazon. Make sure to pick it up. You got Christmas coming up for other Prince fans that you know of that it they may not know or there's just too much going on. Maybe took a break for some odd reason. Get this book because we'd love to see more chapters, more books come out. Big and come to the come to the Facebook page. I have a Facebook page called uh, Prince the Complete Studio Book Series. Um, check me out on Facebook, um, write to me. I answer everything I can. If you have questions, I can probably get a discount coupon for you. If you really, you know, if you want, I just, I want to make sure people know that I'm there. I'm, I'm around and we've got a Facebook group. That's about four, 4,800 people of people just talk about this stuff. And I, you know, I give the most recent news about this stuff. I put extra stuff in there and I want people to know about this. I want people to buy this. I want people to understand that, yeah, get a chance to reach out to me. So thank you for the opportunity for this. Thank you. It was very fun interviewing you. Thank you guys so much again for subscribing on iTunes. If you haven't already subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, pod FM, make a donation. If you want, we'll make sure to have Dwayne's links available in the meta of it. Um, Thanks again also for YouTube. Till next time, y'all. Keep it funky. Show me what you got, show me
the way you go. 